time around, today I will be discussing two serious episodes of Punky Brewster. The first one, season two, episode eight, is entitled Just Say No, which aired on which originally aired on October twenty seventh, nineteen eighty five. And this is the episode that dealt with Punky and Cherry being offered drugs by a group of fifth grade girls who call themselves the Chicklets. Yes, just like the candy. This episode sparked national interest with Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign, along with the help of Soleil Moonfry, who joined in a march against drugs in the Just Say No campaign. You get to see this at the end of the episode, actually. So, without further ado, let's waste no time getting into this episode. We open up the episode on the apartment, and it must be a Saturday because Betty and Sherry come over in the morning. Betty notices Punky has a long face, and Punky on the couch holding holding her skates and tells Betty that she's outgrown them, which that sucks, especially since she just got those during the season one Christmas episode, which I will cover in December. All right, kids and their constantly growing feet. Maybe Henry should have gotten them a size or two bigger, like women sizes, so that way she could wear them into adulthood. Or at least two, you know, a kid sized a couple sizes up. Punky turns to Betty and asks her if she ever felt like she was getting bigger and bigger and was unable to stop it. Betty tells her she's felt that way ever since they invented the bikini. Oh, Betty, I love your comedic relief. Cherry suggests that they go to Skatorama and they can just rent skates. Hearing this, Punky perks right up and then she looks at Henry and Betty saying, Well, all we need is a wonderful adult to drive us there. Betty tells the girls that she has to work a split shift. So they turn to Henry and he tells them, Well, I have a client coming to look at some proof sheets later today. Punky suggests that she and Cherry take the bus there. Betty instantly stamps out that idea, telling them that they are too young to be riding a public bus clear across town. Yeah, two nine-year-old girls riding a public bus by themselves? Uh, no. That is way too dangerous, even in the 80s. Henry tells them to enjoy the wonderful backyard, and Punky and Cherry head outside, and Punky grumbles about being too old to fit into her skates and too young to ride the city bus. She jokes how she must be having her midlife crisis. Uh, yep, dems the brakes, girl. Brandon comes into the yard, backyard followed by Punky and Cherry, who are each using a skate to skate and holding each other up. How creative. The girls end up falling on their butts, and Punky deems their idea, well, that was dumb, and it really wasn't that fun either. Punky tells Cherry, let's go up to the treehouse. She mentions how the farther they are from the ground, the better her bottom will feel. Then four girls come around the corner into the backyard. They look to be in junior high, probably about maybe 12 years old. Do these girls live in the apartment complex? Why would they just walk into someone's back backyard? One of the girls is carrying a mini boombox. I remember when I did that in fifth grade during recess, but I just blasted early 90s, early 90s country music. Hi, Emily, Punky says. Okay, so she obviously knows this girl from school because Emily's surprised that she knows her. Like, oh, you've heard of me. 
And Punky tells her, sure, everyone at school knows you. These girls, just let me say, they are very reprehensive of the times. The girl, Emily, is wearing a long string of pearls that hang down. They're faux pearls, by the way, I'm sure. They hang down to her belly button. All the girls are wearing one shade. Emily wears yellow, the brunette wears all blue, the Asian girl wears all pink, and the other dark-haired girl is wearing the biggest orange sweat orange sweatshirt that goes all the way past her waist. I take it she borrowed that from her mother, maybe? <laughs> Not to mention, all the girls are wearing some type of necklace, either pearls or a rope with a lot of charms or odds and ends. Honestly, these girls are not that impressive. They're trying way too hard to look cool or tough. Hand on hip, head tilted to the side, ugh. The only reason Punky is enamored with these girls is because they're older and probably popular in school, because, of course, everybody's heard of Emily. You're Punky, right? Emily asks, and Punky nods excitedly. She is so completely over the moon that this older girl knows who she is. But then again, weren't young girls kind of like, I mean, they thought that of older girls. Like, oh, this older girl knows who I am. She wants to be my friend. Brandon of, cor Brandon, of course, could care less as he's not impressed by these girls. Punky introduces Cherry and Emily introduces the other girls, Shauna, Tracy, and Kate. And then introduces them all as the Chicklets. And Cherry asks, you all chew the same type of gum? Really, that name isn't original at all, and I'm surprised that they don't get sued by the makers of Chicklets. So you all probably know this is the drug episode, so let me ask this. Are these girls already high, or are they airheads? I'm not going to even try to attempt their valley girl speak. <laughs> I don't like these girls at all. They give older kids a bad rap. Cherry asks what the girls do, and Emily tells them that they go to the mall and hang out together. Emily informs them, uh, informs them on the importance of being in a club and having a place to belong, especially when you're older in the sixth grade. So let me get this straight. These girls are junior high girls talking to nine-year-olds about being cool and how if you're not in a club, you're basically nobody. The girls notice Punky's treehouse and mention how amazing it is. Like, you've been talking to the, these girls for at least ten minutes and you didn't notice that treehouse directly above you, like maybe ten feet in the air? I'm really over their exaggerated valley girl slang, like I said before, which might be more believable if they were, say, from California, where they might fit in. But they're in Chicago. Oh, you've heard of our treehouse? Punky asks them, and Emily tells her, the whole school's talking about it. Really? Then why aren't there more kids hanging around it if they're all talking about it? Punky takes the girls up to the treehouse, and they are really impressed. You'd think they were meeting Bon Jovi. They were that impressed. Emily asks the girls if they'd like to become members of the Chicklets. Punky and Sherry are so stoked to jump at the opportunity, you'd think they won the golden ticket of, to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. They're that stoked. Emily tells Punky and Sherry they'll have their initiation into the club at the next meeting. Punky asks, where is the meeting going to be? And Emily tells her, well, here, of course, gesturing to the treehouse, in our new clubhouse. Excuse me? 
Girl, you don't get jurisdiction over their treehouse turning it into your drug den. I hope that Punky and Cherry wise up fast and realize these girls are a waste of space. I've seen it before, so I know the outcome. Punky and Cherry are just impressed by the older girls with their flashy clothes, accessories, and valley girl speak. And the fact that they're even talking to them. The chicklets are just wolves in sheep's clothing, or at least Emily really is. Back in the apartment, Henry's on the couch as Betty comes into the apartment. I notice he's reading the comics of the newspaper. Gotta love them comics. Even at any age. I mean, Garfield, Peanuts, Marmaduke, Dennis and Menace, and Family Circus. Yes, please. Betty asks if her little monster is playing with Henry's little monster. Henry stands up and says his child is not a monster, and neither is hers for that matter. She tells him to chill out, and no one loves a child more than her. Then she yells to Cherry to get her butt into the living room before she blisters it. We see Punky and Cherry come out both dressed in crazy outfits with bows in their hair, and Cherry's... Excuse me. Cherry's got blush on her cheeks, and Punky is wearing... They're both wearing lipstick. Like, whoa, girls! Oh. I hate to say this, but I think the chicklets would just laugh and make fun of them wearing all this stuff. They are way too overdone. I know they want to be older, but this is not the way to go about it. They went to the extreme and way overboard with the makeup. Betty asks Cherry what is going on, and Cherry tells tries out her valley girl speak like, what do you mean, Grandma? You know? And Betty is not about it at all. Henry charges over to the demanding to know why they look like the camp women from Mars. Punky tells him, it's our new look, okay? And he tells her, no, it is not okay. Cherry tells him, we're chicklets now. Well, not quite yet. They're not there yet. They have to go through the initiation process first. Your gum, Betty asks. Yeah, those older girls should have come up with a better name or one that isn't copyrighted or trademarked. Chicklets is the name of our cool and exclusive group, Punky explains. Cherry tells them it's mostly sixth graders. If I were Henry and Betty, I'd be like, whoa, you are nine years old and you are not hanging out with 12-year-old girls. I mean, come on. They can clearly see the girls are having a bad influence on Punky and Cherry. They change their look and how they talk. I mean, yeah. Bad news all around. Betty asked that same question. Now, why would sixth graders want to hang out with you two? Yes, clearly they have an ulterior motive. Cherry offers, why not? We're cool. Totally. We're so cool they're letting us use our treehouse for their meetings, Punky adds. Well, <laughs> I can see all things wrong with this picture. When I was young, I never tried to make myself up to look like my older sister, who was six years older than me. I remember her hairspray and crimped hair phase. Ah, how generous of them, Henry says. Why didn't they ask you to join their club before you built the treehouse, Henry asks. Yeah, he's got a good point there, but Punky just tells him, we were just babies then. We're a month older now. Betty tells them matter-of-factly, I don't like this. You ought to be playing with girls your own age. Get real, Grandma, Cherry says, rolling her eyes. Then she turns to Punky and says, Is she living in the dark ages or what? 
Oh, Cherry, you did not just give Betty attitude. You best be praying for your life now, sweetie. <laughs> for sure, Punky says. Betty jumps on this and tells Cherry, what's up? Oh, I'll tell you what's for sure. It's like you won't be living at all if you don't get that crud off your face. Yeah, know what I mean? You know what I mean? But, but, Cherry sputters. And you can forget about being a double mint, Betty tells her as she pulls Cherry's fancy headpiece off. Chicklet, Cherry corrects her. And that goes for you too, young lady, Henry stands and points at Punky. Looking at Cherry's face, I notice aside from the light pink lipstick and blush, she also has blue eyeshadow on, and her hair is fashioned in an 80s side ponytail with dangling gold earrings and Mardi Gras beads. Very nice, aside from the makeup. I bet these girls had a lot of fun filming this episode. Please, Grandma, we'll just be playing in the backyard like we always do, Cherry turns to her grandma and begs. Please, Henry, you said yourself growing up means new experiences, Punky pleads. Henry turns to Betty. Well, what do you think, Betty? Well, it may just be a phase, but I want you girls dressing like Punky and Cherry, not pint-sized pointer sisters, she tells them. Punky assures them they'll go back to being themselves, for sure. We see Punky and Cherry in the treehouse with the chicklets, and the girls are seated in front of a table with two glasses in front of them. Emily puts a raw egg in each glass as Punky and Cherry are grossed out. We have to eat that? Punky asks, looking up at Emily in disgust. You want to be chicklets, don't you? Emily asks. If it takes being exposed to possible salmonella to become one, then no, I don't. <laughs> then they also add in ketchup, mustard, horseradish, and then they stir the contents together. Punky asks them to hold the mayo. Has anyone ever died from this? Punky asks. Let's just say it was never proven in court, Emily tells him. Then she says, drink up. Cherry holds her nose as both she and Punky down their glasses of utter grossness. Yuck! Punky and Cherry yell simultaneously. Emily tells them all that's left is for them to take the pledge. Punky says she'll take anything as long as she doesn't have to swallow it. They have the girls recite a pledge and then tell them they're in the chicklets. I'm going to play this scene because it is so pivotal to this episode when Emily pulls out a metal band-aid container and tells the girls, now let's have some real fun. Here's a clip. Now all that's left is for you to take the pledge. I'll take anything as long as I don't have to swallow it. <laughs> Repeat after me. I state your name. I state, state your name. <laughs> promise my most precious promise. Promise my most precious promise to maintain my cool at all times. To maintain my cool at all times. To pray every night that Michael J. Fox doesn't get taller. To pray every night that Michael J. Fox doesn't get taller. And to hang with the chicklets through good times and bad. And to hang with the chicklets through good times and bad. Congratulations, girls. You're one of us. Welcome to the club. All right. <laughs> Cherry, yeah. we did it! Now let's really have some fun.
we ought to let the newest chicklets get first choice. Go ahead, girls. Take your pick. Are these drugs? Just some grass, a few uppers, and a little nose candy. Nose candy? Cocaine. My big brother gets us all kinds of stuff. We do them all the time. It's no big deal. It seems like a big deal to me. Why do you do it? Because everybody does. Besides, it makes you feel happy and relaxed. But I'm already happy and relaxed. Aren't you, Cherry? Real happy, real relaxed. <laughs> don't be so uptight, okay? Come on, it really helps you tune out. I don't feel good about this. Stop acting like babies and start acting like chicklets. How about if we have some more of that great egg punch? Can you believe these two? I can't believe them. Me either. Like, unbelievable. Hey, they're just kids. They don't have to do it if they don't want to. Yes, they do. We went out of our way to make them members of our club, and then all they want to do is spoil our fun? We don't want to spoil your fun. Look, you made a precious promise to hang with the chicklets through good times and bad. Now, if you don't want to have good times with us, then maybe you shouldn't be chicklets. Sure we should. Good. Then you gonna party with us? Not right now. Maybe next time, okay? Come on, you guys. My folks aren't home. Let's go party at my place and leave these little girls alone. Cool. I put my rep on the line for you, too. Don't make a liar out of me, okay? Cherry, it's not right to take drugs. No. If we don't, we're out of the club. I know. It's a really neat club. I know. Oh, Cherry, what are we gonna do? I don't know. Emily pours out onto the floor of the trios what looks like two joints, a vial of cocaine, and some miscellaneous pills maybe from one of their mother's medicine cabinets. I can't see these girls into Vicodin or Valium if they want to have fun, so maybe some of those pills could possibly be speed. The smiles are immediately gone from Cherry and Punky's faces. Emily tells them that they get first dibs because they're new members. Were kids as young as nine being propositioned to take drugs back then in the 80s? It just, is, it just amazes me now. I mean, thinking nine is so young even now. It's like they're practically babies. Now, I've said this before, I'm sure on other podcasts, but I was lucky enough not to be exposed or tempted to try dr drugs at their age or at any age. I was pretty sheltered having grown up in the country. There weren't many kids my age around, and being in special education, if kids were doing drugs in my school, I never heard about it. Emily just says, just some grass, weed, a few uppers, speed, and some nose candy, cocaine, Emily tells them. Yikes, girls, no club is worth joining if you gotta do drugs to be a part of it. Emily tells them her big brother gets them all kinds of stuff. Really? In exchange for what? 
They get him more customers, or is he pimping these girls out? Get them hooked and they'll beg for more. Is that it? Emily tells them they do them all the time. It's no big deal. Punky tells her it seems like a big deal and asks, why do you do it? How, okay, how often is all the time? Once a week? Twice a week? Five days a week? Just on the weekends? She tells them everybody does it and it makes you feel happy and relaxed. So then there's... So then... I'm guessing these girls must have terrible home lives if they're doing it all the time to be happy and relaxed or just a, are they doing it for recreational purposes? I mean, if they're having to check out of life that much, I mean, I don't know. Punky tells them, but I'm already re um, really happy and relaxed. And she turns to Cherry, who also adds, yeah, I'm really happy and re real relaxed too. Emily is really pressuring them telling them not to be so uptight and that the drugs help you tune out. Punky tells her, I don't feel right about this. Good for you, Punky. Don't give in to peer pressure. Emily straight up demands that they stop acting like babies and start acting like chiplets. She is really pushing this issue on them. I'm scared she is going to force them next. It's like she's backing them against a wall and saying, do it or else. I just noticed Cherry is as tall as Emily. I mean, come on. I bet that Cherry could take this girl. Punky suggests that they have more of that egg punch. Emily scoffs at them like, can you believe these two? And the other two girls, the blonde and the Asian, look disgusted. But the brunette just tells them, they're just kids. They don't have to if they don't want to. Good for you, girl. Stand up to this Emily girl and support Punky and Cherry. Yes, they do. Emily demands. Uh, sorry, guys. Hold on a second. She goes on to say how they went out of their way to make them chiclets, and now they want to spoil their fun? If I were Punky, I'd say, hey, let me remind you, you are in my treehouse, and you're lucky I don't narc on you. And then I would say, hey, I mean, this is my version in my head. I'd be like, all right, and then she flings the drugs over the railing of the treehouse, and then Emily along with, with them. I mean, that railing is so low. All it would take is one little push, and boom, she breaks her neck. Sorry, guys, my version of the ending went a little dark. But I gotta go there, because this Emily girl is pissing me off. She then reminds Punky and Cherry that they made a precious promise to hang with them through good times and bad. And if they don't want to have a good time, maybe they shouldn't be chicklets. But Cherry, e eager to belong, tells her, sure we should. Emily picks up a joint, a joint and offers it to Punky, and Punky tells her, not right now, maybe next time. Emily just sneers at her and calls Punky and Cherry little girls and mentions how, hey, my parents aren't home right now. Let's go party at my place. Before Emily heads down, she tells Punky and Cherry that she told everyone, you know, I told everyone you were cool. I put my rep on the line. <laughs> Who asked you to, girl? She tells them, don't make a liar out of me. And then she leaves. I was just thinking, how do you think Margo would have handled being in this situation? Being seen and heard is kind of Margo's thing. Would she give in to temptation to hang with the older girls? As Emily goes down the steps, I notice she uses two of the support steps, then ducks down like 
Yes, you know, I, I know it's a set, but anyone who would think that it was in the actual tree would think she dropped down to her death. Punky and Cherry look at each other in distress. Punky tells Cherry, it's wrong to do drugs, and Cherry agrees. And then Punky says, but if we don't do it, we're out of the club. And it's a really neat club. Not really. Those girls looked miserable. <laughs> if they're being ruled and dictated by Emily, what fun could they possibly be having? Unless Emily's only fun when she's under the influence. No, thank you. I'll pass. In the next scene, we see Mike. We haven't seen him since season two, episode three, Cheaters Never Win. He's busy writing something on the board for class. So I'm guessing being the, that the classroom is entry empty... Is this before school? During lunch break, maybe? Mike's trying to spell arithmetic, and Punky points out that he spelled it incorrectly, and she shows him a trick that she taught herself when it comes to spelling hard words. She makes up silly sentences, kind of like a, I think it's like a mnemonic device. A red insect thought he might eat turnips in church, and she changes the A to an E. Interesting little trick. I like that. He tells her she found out his... He tells her that she found out his terrible secret. And he tells her, I'm a terrible speller. Whoever heard of a teacher who couldn't spell, he tells her. And Punky says, whoever heard of insects eating turnips in church? She tells him that he's the best teacher in the whole world. Doesn't she already have him for a teacher? Unless... Oh, wait, she says he's the best teacher in the whole school. Doesn't she only have him for a teacher? Unless, does Mrs. Morton still teach third grade there, do you think? What a sweetheart of a lady she was. Mike tells her thanks and he smiles. I just wish you weren't mine. And, surpri and surprised, he looks at her. Come again, he asks, confused. I want to play this clip of Punky opening up to Mike about her encounter with the chiclets and being offered drugs. So here it is. I honestly got to say, Mike does an amazing job here leveling with Punky and just really listening to her. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't get upset. He just listens, which is right now what Punky needs. If she went to Henry or Betty, I think their first reaction is, yes, they are going to get upset. But... All she needs right now is a listening ear, and luckily, Mike is there to provide one for her and give her advice. All right, guys, I'll be right back. See, I've got this problem that I need to talk over with someone older and wiser. All the old wise people I know get mad at me for getting myself into this mess. Sounds like some problem. Yeah, it's a real dilemma. <laughs> well, that's dilemma. Punky, why don't you forget that I'm your teacher and just think of me as Mike Fulton, your friend? Promise you won't get mad? I won't get mad. And anything that you tell me will remain our secret. And what's this all about? Drugs. Oh. Are those mad wrinkles on your forehead? No, I'm just aging fast, that's all. <laughs> See, I joined this really cool club with a friend of mine who has to remain nameless. Okay. Anyway, the girls in the club wanted us to take drugs. And if we don't, they'll kick me and Sherry out. I hope you and your anonymous friend refused. Not exactly. We sort of said, 
Maybe next time. Hmm. Punky, there's a name for your problem. There is? Yes. Peer pressure. What's that? Peer pressure is the feeling of wanting to fit in, to be like your friends. And sometimes that feeling can be so strong that it makes it hard for us to resist doing something we know isn't right. Yeah, that's me. I've got peer pressure up to my eyeballs. It's not on you, Punky. It's happened to all of us. I can remember when I was a kid, I started hanging out with a group of guys that I thought were real cool. Until I found out that their idea of cool was riding around in fast cars. That doesn't sound so bad. It is when the car belongs to someone else. <laughs> what did you do? I found myself a new group of friends to hang out with. Guys who really knew what was cool. Staying in school. Playing a little basketball. Listening to Jane Brown. The point is, people want to fit in. The trick is finding people who you fit with. Yeah, that's a tricky part. Come here, let me show you something. I know it's in your... Where is that path? Oh, here it is. <laughs> right under my glow-in-the-dog yo-yo. <laughs> Punky, I have a hunch that you want to do just like I did. You want to find a new group of friends to hang with. Now, here's some information about another club with children all across the country. I'm pretty sure you'll be a lot more comfortable with this group. Now, I want you to take this home, check it out, and you come back tomorrow and you tell me what you think, okay? Okay. Kids sing. Turn ups help all meet kids sing. Hey! I like how Mike doesn't get mad at her and actually helps her by telling her what she's going through is actually it has a name. It's peer pressure, and a lot of kids face that, even he did as a kid. And then he ends up giving her a Just Say No booklet to read. So Punky and Cherry are back in the treehouse with the chicklets, who once again offer them drugs. Well, Emily does. Emily and... <laughs> Punky and Cherry turn them down. I want to play this clip of Punky standing up for herself and putting Emily and the other chicklets in their place. Cherry? No. Boy, what wimps. We're not wimps. Wimps do anything anybody tells them to do. She's got a point. Yeah, on top of her head. Drugs are bad for you. Grow up. I don't have to grow up. I like being nine years old. Well, fine. If that's the way you feel, then we're kicking you out of the chiclets for good. Well, fine. If that's the way you feel, we're kicking you out of our treehouse. For good. We're going to start a club that makes us feel good about ourselves. Oh, go ahead. Who'd want to join your dumb club? A lot of kids. 
We're going to have a fun time without drugs. What's the club called? Who cares? Me, okay? It's called the Just Say No Club. And Mike Fulton said he'll be our sponsor. Oh, wow, he's so cool. Kate, maintain. Oh, shut up, Emily. <laughs> Let's go, Chicklets. Hey, your club sounds fun. How do I join? It's easy, Kate. All you have to do is just say no. I like how the girl Kate stands up for Punky and Cherry. Punky informs Emily that they're going to start a Just Say No club with Mike Fulton sponsoring the club. Kate is definitely interested and stands up to Emily, telling her to shut up. And then she stays with Punky and Cherry while the other two girls leave with Emily. So we get a montage of Punky, Cherry, and Mike putting up a Just Say No poster in the school and wearing the shirts as well. Then the girls give a shirt to Kate. Then we see in the backyard, we see Mike, Punky, Cherry, Henry, and Betty wearing the Just Say No shirts and carrying signs. Along with Brandon wearing a cloth sign of Just Say No on his back. T.K. Carter, the actor who plays Mike Fulton, has a voiceover, which I will play now. of the show, especially Soleil Moonfry, take part in the Just Say No campaign march happening on April 26, 1985, and I believe that Cherry Johnson was also shown in some of the marches as well. I was actually in the D.A.R.E. program in 1993 when I was 11 in 5th grade. We had to watch videos and complete a workbook as well as sign a pledge. We even had to do an interview on, uh, on uh, video camera. And a local uh, police officer was even there to uh, interview us and ask us questions. We also had a dare concert and sang songs about saying no to drugs. Remember the day of the concert? Before the performance in the music room, kids were all goofing off and we were supposed to be using recorders and our music teacher was almost in tears. One of the other teachers had come in and started yelling at the kids saying how we were going to make our music teacher cry if we didn't straighten up. I believe the concert went well from what I can remember. I uh, did post a picture on Instagram and the Facebook Punky Power podcast um, Facebook page wearing my Dare t-shirt, albeit I was still wearing it two years later, but it still fit. Well, that's the end of the episode. Time for my... Brandon Tailwag episode rating. I'm giving this episode 5 out of 5 Brandon Tailwags. One, for approaching the subject of the temptation of drug use in a way that wasn't too scary for young kids but gave a positive message. Two, for showing Punky and Cherry so eager to join an older girls group that they began to mimic their and dress mimic their dress and slang and how easily the older girls had influence over Cherry and Punky, showing how Cherry and Punky had to try very hard to resist the urge to try drugs. Three, for Henry and Betty vetoing the idea of Punky and Cherry hanging out with sixth grade girls, being that they are just nine-year-olds. 
This was before chiclets were the before the chiclets were revealed to be drug users. Four, for Mike being the kind of teacher that Punky could turn to in a tough situation, especially when she was afraid to come to Henry on the matter of being tempted to take drugs. Mike was open and honest with her in explaining peer pressure to her and giving her the Just Say No booklet. And number five, for the end montage showing Henry and Betty getting involved with the kids for the Just Say No campaign. I really kind of wish we could have seen Punky and Sherry tell Henry and Betty about the whole drug temptation. Sure, they'd get mad, but at least they'd be made aware of what's going on, which they obviously are later because they're wearing the shirts. <clears throat> All right, let's hear some of my Punky's principles. I can't even imagine what kids today are facing when it comes to temp the temptation of drugs. Punky was only nine in the Just Say No episode. And this was back in 1985. My message to any kids or teens listening to this podcast episode is, please don't do drugs. I know you've heard this before, but once you start, there is no turning back, and you will find yourself walking down a dark path and could even end up losing everything, including your life. If you find yourself faced with a situation like Punky and Cherry, ask yourself, is it worth it? Would you risk losing everything for something as little as a momentary high? Let's read some YouTube viewer comments. 80 shows were all about teaching. They always had a tip at the end that taught you something. Today's shows are all about making money with no value other than mindless entertainment. 2. The e-spirit and guest outfits ruled. 80s had the best fashion. 3. Punky Brewster, the most influential 9-year-old ever. Four, when I first saw this episode, I thought it would be about the chicklets using Punky and Cherry for their treehouse, and the girls would have to stand up for themselves. While they did have to stand up for themselves in the end, I remember being really shocked by the twist in having the episode be about drugs. Five, OMG, that's so crazy to be pressured to do drugs at nine years old. When I was nine in the 80s, I didn't know what drugs were. This episode has a great message, just say no. These days on television, all you hear about is drugs, and nobody tells you say no. Kind of sad how things have changed from caring to not caring. And then there's a sad face. Alright, let's move on to Season 2, Episode 9, entitled The Search, which aired on November 10th, 1985. <clears throat> in this episode, Punky has something in common with her teacher, Mike Fulton. They were both abandoned by their mothers. They work together to try and find the whereabouts of their respective families. All right. Right. Let's jump into, before we jump into this episode, I want to give you guys a little trivia that comes up. During the opening scene of the episode, Peyton B. Rutledge, or Rutledge? I can't pronounce her name. <laughs> Who appears in this episode in a brief cameo at the very beginning as a school teacher is the inspiration for this series. Nick's named Nick Oh my goodness, all of a sudden I can't talk. <laughs> Nicknamed Punky Brewster as a child, she was a friend of NBC president Brandon Tartikoff. No direct explanation of her appearance other than an in joke is given herein. The episode opens in the school hallway with Punky charging down the stairs late for class as she bumps into Mrs. Ruthledge. Rutledge, oh my goodness. 
And then she asks Punky's name. And Punky tells her, I'm Punky Brewster. And then she leaves for class. Mrs. Rutledge thinks aloud to herself, Punky Brewster, what a strange name. How funny, because the character of Punky Brewster was created after her image. Punky peeps around the door, peeks around the door, and points at Cherry to distract Mike so she can sneak in. So Cherry points to the window and says, Mike, look, there's a kangaroo sitting on top of the flagpole. Maybe Cherry should have tried something more believable, like, hey, look, there's a squirrel sitting on top of the flagpole or, flagpole or some other animal native to the U.S. instead of a kangaroo, which I believe is native to Australia. Mike goes over the window, looking out, tells her, well, I don't see anything, just Punky sneaking in late. As Cherry waves her in and Punky slinks into the room and taking her, takes her seat. Mike brings the class to attention, the subject being health, and has Cherry read from the workbook. She struggles to read the word genealogy. Mike tells her it's genealogy, and then asks the class if they know the word relative. Margot, of course, has to answer with parents, a relative is parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, and Mike eventually has to put a hand up to silence her, but she just keeps going. And finally, he bends down to her level and tells her, that's enough. I mean, she's going on about nieces and nephews and great-great-grandparents. Like, please, girl, just, just stop. Then we see Alan. Yes, he's still got that gray sweatshirt that is... A trademark it has it now, I guess. But this time, his face is adorned with a Band-Aid, and so is the probably, I'm guessing, maybe Casey Ellison, the actor. He did something off-screen, possibly getting hurt or something, but we only really see him for this scene. He's not in the rest of the episode. Mike asks the class if they have a lot of relatives, and every everyone's hand shoots in the air, but Punky hesitates at first, then puts her hand up along with the other kids. This makes me wonder, does Punky know her grandparents? Has she ever met her cousins? What about uh, aunts and uncles? A lot of questions are raised here. I'm guessing we're to believe Punky's parents are, only, are an only child and her grandparents are all dead. Maybe we'll find out in this episode and get some answers. Spoiler alert, we don't. <clears throat> Mike asks the class if they know about a family tree and explains how you can trace back your family history and discover your heritage. Margot, of course, pipes up at this, telling the class how the Kramers are the creme de la creme of Chicago society. The kids all boo her, which rightly so in her case. Margot, shut up. No one cares. Margot calls them peasants. <laughs> yeah, that's her registered trademark line there guys <laughs> seriously I've said this before she needs to go to a private school she'd fit in greatly with all those preppy trust fund kids a boy named Jason tells the class that his family had a family reunion in Japan Margot tells everyone how her family gathers in Monaco every year Alan says how his family the Andersons gather at Bernie's bowling alley and Peoria. I looked it up in Peoria, or if that's how you pronounce it, is about three hours away from Chicago. He also says his grandpa is the original Bernie. So does his grandpa own the bowling alley then? Usually my family reunions weren't 
called that when I was growing up since a lot of my family lived close together. We'd gather at the park during the summer or at my Aunt Debbie's house. My cousins would uh, come in from Alabama once a year when I was around 10 and 11 during the summer for a week. There were also yearly trips to Michigan's Adventure and Thanksgiving and Christmas gatherings. Over the years, as we've gotten older, because we're all like in our mid-twenties, mid to late thirties and everything, so we've, um, it's basically been Christmas for a lot of the time, graduations and weddings that we've all gotten together. We don't really get together for Christmas, as a lot of me and my cousins, being we're all married now and everything, we do have, you know, our spouse's families that we usually probably go to their place for Thanksgiving, so. For the last 10 years or so, the family on my dad's side has gotten together for an annual family gathering, which is held at a lodge during the summer. I went a couple times, but it's not really my thing, mostly it's just an excuse to drink, and I don't, so I just see my family at Christmas and weddings and graduations. Mike laughs at Alan's story, and then Sherry adds how every year she and her grandma go to a family barbecue, and she loves to watch her Uncle Eddie open pop bottles with his teeth. He uh, tells the class for their homework that night he wants them to draw up a family tree and then turn it into a family project by asking their moms and dads for helps. <laughs> their moms and dads for help. I'm sorry, guys. I don't think I ever had to make a family tree in school. I, although if I did, I was probably pretty young, too young to even remember it. All this time, Punky has got to be miserable. Mike's got to know Punky's history and how hard this is for her to listen and sit through. Punky just sits there in her seat looking hurt and miserable. In the next scene, Henry and Brandon are at the kitchen table working on a puzzle. Henry's been looking for one piece for over an hour, yet there's like 20 or 30 other pieces he could use until he finds the missing piece. I mean, he probably could have finished the majority of that puzzle in the hour he wasted looking for that one piece. He looks at Brandon and tells him the only obvious explanation is it's missing and that when Brandon puts his arm on his paw up on the table, Henry picks it up and finds the missing piece under his paw. He takes it and puts it in place. So I just noticed he has his robe on, so this must be in the evening, because when he looks at Punky in the living room, he asks if she's okay, and she's wearing pajamas. She tells him, I'm fine, but anyone can see she's anything but that. We see a picture of her family tree with her name, her mom, and her dad's. There's no Susan Brewster, it's just mom and dad. There's Dad doesn't even, I don't think he even gets a name on this show, he's just dad. Henry, and he doesn't really come up that much. Even though in this episode, there's no real mention of her father other than his name on that tree. Henry, not believing her, comes into the living room and asks, Are you really okay? I want to play this clip because she is so sad and no amount of chocolate pudding is going to make her feel better. Alright, hold on. I'll be right back. Enjoy the clip. Come on. Let's talk. What's bugging you? I miss my mom. Okay. It's natural for you to miss your mom. You love your mother, and she's not with you. I 
Maybe it would help if you thought of all the nice memories you have of her. Memories aren't enough, Henry. You can't touch a memory. You can't hug or kiss a memory. You can't sit on a memory's lap. Memories don't even have laps. I know I sound like a little baby, Henry, but I want my mommy. I know you do, honey. It breaks my heart hearing Punky cry about how much she misses her mom and how memories aren't enough. She breaks down and cries on Henry's shoulder. I miss my mom. I have very few memories before she had her stroke because I was so young when it happened. I was seven when that happened. Probably right around, you know, a couple years younger than Punky at the, at the time. The few things I remember her teaching me was when I learned how to tie my shoes. <laughs> I remember sitting on the living room floor when I was maybe five and she was in the kitchen and she told me I couldn't go to school until I learned how to tie my shoes the right way. I got it right, and then I called her in, and I said, hey, come look, come look. I So I untied them to show them to her as I was doing it. <laughs> of course, then when I tried to show it, when, do it when she was in the room, of course, I got it wrong. I'm like, I got it, I got it. No. I remember her walking to me to, walking to my school and pushing me and the other kids on the swings when I was young. In the next scene... Punky's in the treehouse, and that's when Mike comes up and visits with her. She asks what he's doing there, and he tells her, well, Henry called me because he's worried and that you're feeling depressed. Punky jokes how the worry part of Henry's brain is overdeveloped. Mike asks her to give him a big smile, and when she does, it actually looks more like a grimace. She agrees that, well, I might be a little depressed. I want to play this clip of Mike's talk with Punky. He's such a sweet and caring teacher. We need more caring and sweet teachers out there who take the time to get to know their students and help them. Because until you ask, you can't help, you know, you can't help someone if you don't ask what's going on and you help them solve their problem and make them feel better. All right, I'll be right back. Punky, did I hurt your feelings when I was talking about families and school? Did it make you dwell on the fact that you were abandoned by your mother? It's not your fault, Mike. It just hurts me because everybody has a family except me. I know what that feels like. You do? Yeah. I was put up for adoption when I was only a few days old. You were? Yeah. This note was spending my clothes. Hot Tub Club 555. Uh, wrong note. <laughs> uh, here, Dear sirs, this is my son, Michael Fulton. I'd like to keep him, but I just can't. Please find him a good home. Thank you. 
She didn't sign it. Right. I don't even know what my mother looks like. I pictured her in my mind, though. She's a dead ringer for Lena Horn. That's why I get my good looks. <laughs> my mom was real beautiful, too. She had long brown hair. And sometimes she let me brush it. Punky, I asked Henry if you mind if you and I worked on a project together. He thought it was a great idea. In fact, he even agreed to help. Really? What is it? What if you and I tried to find our moms? You really think we could? We could try. Hey, let's go for it. All right. Hey, Branding, guess what? Mike and I are going to try to find our moms. <laughs> Mike tells Punky he was abandoned at Fenster Hall when he was just a few days old with a note pinned to his blanket. Punky reads it and notices that it's not signed, and Mike says he doesn't even know what his mother looks like. And Punky recalls how her mother had long brown hair, and sometimes she would let her brush it. I remember doing that with my mom, brushing her hair as I sat on the back of the couch. Mike comes up with a project for them to do together, and he tells her, well, I checked with Henry, and Mike... Oh, hold on. That he checked with Henry, and Mike tells her, let's try to find our moms. And Punky is so excited, she yells down to Brandon that, that she and Mike are going to find their moms. And Brandon happily barks and rolls over and continues to bark at something or someone off screen. So it's been, what, a year since Punky came to live with Henry? And since the Christmas episode of Season 1, which I'll cover in December, where Henry gets a lead on a woman who fits the description of Punky's mother to a T, but spoiler alert, it leads to a dead end. But I'll get more on that when I cover that episode in December. Since then, they must have taken a break on searching for her, but now they're ready to give it another go, as we see at dinner that night. Punky suggests they can find their moms through advertising in newspapers, billboards, skywriting, or the Goodyear blimp to fly over during the, su during the Super Bowl. That dinner looks so good. I mean, barbecue chicken, mashed potatoes, and biscuits? Yes, please. Mike tells her it's not going to be easy. Or that expensive, Henry adds. Punky then asks, how are we going to find our moms? And Mike tells her, it'll be like putting together pieces of a puzzle. At this, Brandon barks and Henry gives him a hard look, especially when Brandon's bark spooks Mike, causing him to suddenly drop the chicken bone he's been chewing on. Mike tells her, well, we can make a list containing all the facts that we know about our mothers. Henry tells her, well, I've already been compiling a list of my own and then we'll go through the, the records one by one. Punky asks to see the list, and Henry tells her to wipe her hands first because they're covered in barbecue sauce. She, instead of going to the sink, she turns to Brandon, Brandon and holds her palms out, and he licks them clean. No, Punky. I mean, go to the sink and wash them cor correctly. I don't care how clean dog saliva is. Punky reads aloud from the list. Birth records, marriage records, and hospital records? Punky tells him, we've got our work cut out for us. And Mike tells her, that's right, but we're a team. And Henry tells her, that's right, teamwork. 
Mike lifts up his piece of barbecue chicken, and Punky and Henry lift theirs up to his as he says, what all for one and one for all. So next we see Henry and Punky in the living room pouring over files of marriage records, death records, hospital records, and property records, etc. Punky admits her frustra frustration after spending hours of time put into looking through files of properties that her mother doesn't own and not coming up with any results. Back in 1985, were records that easy to obtain versus now where you have to pay to search for them online? I mean, they had piles of folders, stacks even. How did Henry go about obtaining those records, and did he have to sign a release for them? Maybe it was easier to get them because Punky was the daughter of the missing mother in question. Henry asks her if she's getting discouraged, and she tells him no, because we also know all the hospitals where she's not sick. Now, I know I won't cover the first season Christmas episode until December. I've said that twice now. But here's a little spoiler that involves Punky's mom, possibly. Even though I'll delve more into that when I cover it later. Henry has a detective search for Punky's mom to have her come for Christmas. This is basically kind of a little bit of the Christmas episode, which I'm divulging a little bit to try to lay a little groundwork here. And the detective comes up with the lead of a woman who was brought into the hospital after suffering from exposure. December winter in Chicago, need I say more. And the woman matches Punky's mother to a T. I'm guessing she has dark hair because all they had to go on was the picture Punky drew of her. Did Punky happen to know her birthday? I mean, she didn't even have an actual physical picture of her mother other than what she drew. Henry did go see the woman and asked if she was Susan Brewster. She told him, for $20, I'll be whoever you want me to be. So here's my theory. She was suffering from exposure, right? So maybe she was confused. What would she have said if he asked if she had a daughter named Punky Brewster? What do you think her reaction would have been then? Too bad Henry didn't bring Punky's picture with him to show her. The last thing I could guess, she was a prostitute suffering from exposure, wearing skimpy clothes, or someone coming down from a drug high along with suffering from exposure. So I don't know. Henry goes over the telephone and Punky asks who he call he's who are you calling? And he tells her, Well, I have the number of a woman who gave birth on the same night at the same hospital as Mike Fulton's mother. So I'm going to play this clip with Henry talking to Lois Collins. I'll be right back. Who are you calling? Well, I've located a woman who gave birth the night Mike was born at the same hospital. I'm hoping she can give me some information about the other mothers who were in the maternity ward that night. All right, lady, give us a clue. Hello? Is this Lois Collins? My name is Henry Warnemont. I was wondering if you could answer a few questions. Uh, was your maiden name Baker? It was? And did you give birth to a baby boy on November 23rd, 1955, at County General Hospital? Oh, ma'am. Oh, please don't get upset. No, no. This has nothing to do with blackmail. I'm just trying to help a friend locate his natural mother. His name is Mike Fulton. What? I had no idea when I... Oh, please, ma'am, if you'll hear me out. No, I'm, t I'm terribly sorry, but if you're... If you'll just...
I found Mike's mother. You have? She refuses to see him. How do I tell Mike that I've ruined his only chance to speak to his mother? Do you let me tell him? Why, Punky? Because the same thing could happen to me. And I think I know exactly what Mike would do. Do you think the way that Henry went about calling this lady and asking her personal questions was the best way to go about it? If you were Henry, would you have approached the situation differently? When Henry gets off the phone with Lois Collins, he does turn to Punky, as you hear in the clip, and tells her that he thinks he's found Mike's mom, but she refuses to see him, and feel now Henry feels like now he's ruined any chance of a possible reunion between Mike and his mother. Punky asks Henry, let me be the one to break the news to Mike about this. And Henry asks her, why? Why? Why should it be her? She tells him, because the same thing could happen to me. And I know what Mike would do if it were me. She is such a good friend. Punky takes it upon herself to visit Lois Collins and persuade her to meet her long-lost son, Mike. Well, if anyone can get through to her and make her see the light, it is Punky. She's just got, she's got a way about her that, that people just, they want to do what she says. <laughs> we move now to a nice apartment where we see a woman old enough to be someone's grandma vacuuming her living room floor. So basically she's about the age that she would have someone who's probably in their, thir a, a child in their 30s would be my guess. There's a knock at the door and we, when she opens it, Punky there and Punky tells the woman that I'm selling I'm selling candy bars for my school's marching band. Lois tells her I'll get my purse. For what? She has no candy. Don't give her money sight unseen. I'd be suspicious like uh where's the candy then? What kind of candy are you selling exactly? Give me names. I want names. All right. I like Milky Ways. I like Snickers, BT Dubs. That's just me though. <laughs> Lois tells Punky that her daughter used to sell candy when she was in band too. That's when Punky notices the pictures on the mantle, and she notices the picture of a guy and asks, You have a son too? Lois asks Punky what instrument she plays, and distractedly, while Punky's looking at the pictures, Punky's like, Oh, uh, the piano. This confuses Lois, since I guess Punky's supposed to be in a marching band, and Punky realizes her mistake and tries to cover it up by saying, Oh, did I say piano? I, I meant tuba. <laughs> I get those two mixed up all the time. Well, Punky, if you're going undercover in this covert operation, then your cover has just been blown. As she tries to save face, she cracks under the pressure. She tells her how, Oh, they get the tuba rolling down the field, and then I jump in and start playing. I think Lois is on to Punky as she says, oh, really? Like, all right, I'm starting to think now you're not telling me the truth. As she puts her purse down on the couch and approaches Punky, but Punky dashes around the coffee table giving chase. What? Why would she run from the woman like she's scared of her? Like, oh, she's going to try to grab me. Like, no, she's not. Punky then starts stammering, saying how the lady has a nice place. This is like her go-to move when she's being cornered by somebody she doesn't know in a place she's never been when said person catches her in a lie, which you'll see in the um, Love, Thy Neighbor Love Thy Neighbor episode, which I'll cover for Halloween because it's a Halloween episode on October 31st. Lois looks down at Punky and tells her, Punky, I'm not going to give you any money. 
I would hope not. Jeez. Punky toes are good because I wouldn't feel right about taking it since I don't actually have any candy. Lois asks her what she's doing there and what is this all about? Punky admits, well, I came to talk to you about Mike Fulton. Now I want to play this clip because I love how Punky uses her mother as a comparison for why Lois should meet Mike and having Lois see it from Punky and Mike's point of view. So here's the clip and I'll be right back. Chai, what are you up to? I'm here to talk to you about Mike Fulton. What? He's your son that's not on the mantle. I don't know what you're talking about, and I think it's time for you to go. Please. All he wants to do is see you. Don't you want to see him, too? He's real cute. They promised me they'd keep those records confidential. Why did he send you here? Doesn't know I'm here. Doesn't even know you're here. It was my foster dad, Henry, that you talked to. He's helping Mike and me find our moms. Who is Mike to you? He's my fourth grade teacher and my friend. Oh, Punky, I'm very busy right now. I'm afraid you're going to have to go. He's a teacher? Yeah, the best in the whole school. You'd really be proud of him. You just went to see him. Oh, oh I can't. Oh, my husband doesn't know I had a child before we met. Neither do my children. I bet they'd be real happy to have a new relative. Oh, I can't tell them after all these years. Oh, look. You don't understand how I feel. But I understand how Mike feels. I don't know where my mom is either. Really? I wish with all my heart that I could see my mom again. I could just see her one more time. Make that moment last forever. When Punky tells Lois, I bet your kids would be happy to know that they have a, a long-lost relative out there that they didn't know about, Punky's, Punky's too young to realize how much heartache and strain this is on Lois, not to mention her kids and husband. They don't know. To find out that your spouse had a child that they didn't tell you about before you two got together, or even to find out that you have an unknown sibling that your parent didn't tell you about for your whole life... That would be a bitter pill to swallow, and would take some time to accept. Just before Punky walks out to the door, she turns back and tells Lois how if she could just see her mother one more time, if only for a moment, she'd make that moment last forever. Her words affect Lois so profoundly that she decides to go and meet Mike after all, and we see her coming down the stairs outside Mike's classroom as we see his back is turned as he cleans up after class is over. I want to play this scene when Lois tells Mike she's his mother. Tears were pricking my eyes when I watched his reaction. I'll be right back. Now what's your little boy's name? Michael Fulton. My name is Lois Collins. 
up straight. I was always tall. I've been this tall since I was 12. The guys at Fister, they used to call me Too Tall Fulton. Those guys. Fenster? Yeah, Fenster Hall. That's the orphanage where I grew up. Michael. I was 16 years old when you were born. I wasn't married. And your father split the minute he found out I was pregnant. I couldn't raise a child. I... Hey. You're here now. And that's all that matters. It all seems so long ago. I'm married now, and I have a family. Really? And you have a half-brother and sister. I do. Allison is, is a computer analyst, and David is the PE coach at Central High School. No kidding? You mean that we both became teachers? And you both have your grandfather's eyes. Got a family. I actually got a family. Mom, I've been waiting to say that all my life. spent his whole life at Fenster Hall, or at least until when he aged out at 18, I'm guessing. I just went back to the beginning when Punky reads the note that was pinned to Mike's blanket when he was dropped off at Fenster Hall when he was a baby. The note says his name is Mike Fulton. Where does the last name Fulton come from? It's not his mother's maiden name. We we hear it when he, uh, Henry's mentioning her to Punky. Was it by the guy that she got impregnated by? But she tells Mike she was 16 when she got pregnant with him, and the guy, his father, took off when he found out. She doesn't say the guy was a boyfriend. She doesn't say it was non-consensual. So who knows? He's as much a mystery to us as Punky's father because he left when Punky was two. Lois tells Mike that he has a half-brother and half-sister. His sister is a computer analyst, and his brother is a PE teacher at school. Mike is floored by the fact that he and one of his siblings became teachers. Plus, she tells him that he and his brother 
both have their grandfather's eyes. Oh, that's so sweet. He calls her mom, and my goodness, that has the waterworks going when he says he's been waiting so many years to say that. And they embrace. In Punky's room, it's nighttime as Henry calls for lights out, and she talks to God. And Henry stays in the cracked doorway overhearing. She tells us that Mike is going to have dinner with his new family, and Punky hopes everything goes all right. Then she prays that God will help bring her mother back to her, but thanks him for bringing, for giving her Henry. All right, I want to play this clip, and I will be right back. Punky, lights out. It's bedtime. Okay, Henry, let me just say my prayers. Hi, God. It's me, Punky. Thanks for getting Mike and his mom back together. Did you know he's having dinner with her and his new family tonight? Please don't let anything burn. <laughs> and if you're not too busy, could you help me find my mom? She's been gone so long. I think she really needs your help to find her way back to me. You know, in school we learned that a family's someone that you love and share your life with. Thanks for sending me, Henry. It's the best family I ever had. Do you think that maybe there's a reason that God's keeping Punky and her mother apart? Maybe her mom is in a bad off state and he doesn't want Punky to see her like that and just hold on to the memories she has of her mom in her heart. All right, everyone, that is the end of the episode. Now it's time for my Brandon Tailwig episode rating. I'm giving this episode five out of five Brandon Tailwigs. One, for the class... For the setup of the episode, which is a classroom assignment of the family tree leading Punky and Mike to search for their moms. Two, for showing that uh, Henry, for showing Henry and Punky going through all the records, searching for information, and leading Punky to admit to Henry how much she misses her mom. But at least one good thing came out of the search. They found Mike's mom. Three. Punky taking it upon herself to go to Mike's mom and convince her to see her son. She brings up her missing mom and how she would give anything to have one moment with her. And she'd make that moment last forever. Four. Mike and his mom Lois meeting face to face and how sad and joyous it is all at the same time. They both learn some hard truths about each other. Five. Punky giving us an update on Mike meeting his new family, and hoping one day that she and her mom can be reunited, but also thanking God for Henry for coming into her life. Now it's time for Punky's Principles. What I got from this episode, other than a bucket full of tears, <laughs> don't just give up looking, and the answers will come. The way Henry and Punky tackled those file piles on medical death, property, and hospital records, and how when Henry reached a dead end calling Lois, Punky took it upon herself to visit the woman herself and appeal to her senses with how Punky is searching for her abandoned mom and Mike searching for his mom because he's never met her. Mike has the opportunity to get to know his mom, whereas Punky might never get that chance to see her mother again if she doesn't want to be found. 
All right, let's hear what YouTube viewers have to say about this episode. One, Punky didn't have any relatives at all? Not one uncle, cousin, grandparent, friends of her mother, nobody at all? That's strange. Two, I can imagine how sensitive the family subject must be for Punky. Henry loves her and his great father, but nothing can replace the feeling of abandonment, especially when it's your own mother that did it. The scene where Henry acquires about what is bugging Punky and she tells him that she misses her mother breaks my heart. Let's see. Five. Heart. Pieces everywhere. Tears. Can't stop. Too, too tragic. This entire episode was tearful, but this second half, waterfall. Alright, join me next Sunday on October 22nd when I discuss Season 2, Episode 11... The Gift, which aired on November 24th, 1985. In this episode, Punky befriends the school janitor who, in spite of her learning disability, is a gifted violin player. And Season 2, Episode 12, Milk Does a Body Good, which aired on December 1st, 1985. In this episode, Punky and Cherry learn that a girl who moved in the building recently was kidnapped by her divorced father, and they are both living in the building under assumed names. Now let's give a warm welcome to some new Punky listeners for the week. I actually want to give a shout out to some new likes on Facebook first. Alright, here's some new Facebook likes. We have Jennifer Towell, T-O-W-L-E, Dino Sensia, I'm sorry if I spell, uh, mispronounced that name wrong, William Tucker III, and Rebecca Brett B. McG- McGregor. And Lisa Barrel. A couple of these last ones I probably already said the last time, but thank you guys for liking the Facebook page. Thank you very much. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episodes. All right, so let's get to some listeners here. First up, a special thank you to Clarksburg, West Virginia. They had 103 plays. Wow, guys, that is so amazing. Thank you so much. Alright, the next one, we have Bolton United Kingdom, W-I-G-A-N, United Kingdom, we have Farmington, Michigan, Janesville, Wisconsin, Spain, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Brampton, Canada, Kindersley, Canada, Barcelona, Spain, Jersey City, New Jersey, Carthage, Carthage, New York, Beverly, Massachusetts, Blue Ridge, Georgia, Auburn, Valer, I'm just going to say France, Denver, Colorado, we have Moscow in Russia, we have Chicago, Illinois, hey, the setting of Funky Brewster, sweet, Dallas, Texas, Sparta, New Jersey, and Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I want to give a special thank you to all you guys out there, all you listeners, whether you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other listening platforms that you may use to hear this podcast. I love giving you guys the episode recaps of Punky Brewster every week. Joining me as I go into full detail describing Punky's many adventures and shenanigans with Henry and Brandon, Cherry, Margot, and Alan, and Betty as well as well as my occasional running commentary and childhood stories. Also, if you guys love this podcast, please go to iTunes. It's absolutely free to start an account there. 
rate, review, and subscribe to Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast. Also, check my social media sites. You can even access them using the SoundCloud account. They're on the homepage. You can like me on Facebook at Punky Power, unofficial Punky Brewster podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Punky PB Podcast. Follow me also on Twitter at Punky PB Podcast. Or you can email me at PunkyPowerPBPodcast at gmail.com. And every week I do do listener questions. So if you guys want a personalized shout out on the podcast, all you got to do is answer them. All right. Have a great week, everybody. And I look forward to giving you more Punky Brewster next Sunday. Bye-bye.